If you have a Bible, you can open to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll look at verses 8 through 20 this morning, and the text is also printed in the bulletin on the next page. And I think there's probably some Bibles available in the back if you need one of those. Back into Ecclesiastes, uh, after a few, well, after at least Easter, off somewhere else. So, um, there's this scene in The Simpsons. You all remember that show. It's been around for a while. The scene where Homer, uh, Homer's sort of the, you could say maybe central character, or at least one of the main characters of The Simpsons. Uh, he's the stereotypical blue-collar working, gla- working class kind of guy, right? Works at the nuclear power plant. He's enjoying uh, some champagne with his boss in this one scene. Uh, Mr. Burns, he's the greedy billionaire owner of Springfield Nuclear Power. Um, and Homer says, uh, you know, as they're drinking champagne, he says, you know, Mr. Burns, you're the richest guy I know. And Mr. Burns says, ah, oh, yes, but I'd trade it all for a little more. <laughs> uh, I mean, of course, who wouldn't trade it all for a little more? <laughs> more, more. Mr. Burns is a billionaire, and he wants more. He's not content with what he already has. And we laugh uh, because even though it's a fictional character, we know this is what people are really like. Are you content with what you have? I mean, by people, we know what people are really like. I mean us, right? We. We're like Mr. Burns. This is what we're really like. Are you content with what you have? Do you act as if a little more might be enough? Do you imagine that you might become content with just a little more? Because you won't. You never will. Because there's always a little more to be wanted. And if you must have more to be satisfied, you'll never be satisfied. So what is enough? You think in order to be content, we have to have enough. What is enough? What does that mean? How can we be truly satisfied without getting a little more? Can we actually find contentment with what we already have? Ecclesiastes asks questions like these. It says these are ultimately spiritual questions. And that the only good answers are found in our relationship with God. So that's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, as we hear your word now, we pray that not only would it make sense to us and that we would understand it, but that you would truly change our lives by it through a relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them, But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vapor. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, 
And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and beautiful is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the theme verse, I think, uh, for this whole section, and this section really... I think spills over into chapter six, uh, which we may or may not look at next week. Uh, just if it's the themes, uh, if the themes are too similar here, you want to um, double up on uh, sermons about this in, in particular. But uh, a theme verse for this whole section really is verse ten: "He who loves money will not be satisfied with money." Right? True satisfaction. It's that deep, full, happy ah oh, of blessed contentment will never be a matter of having a certain amount of money or the things that money can buy. It's not related to those things. The people who really understand this are those who have a lot of money. They know from experience that you can have a lot of money, but still be dissatisfied in life. still be discontent, still be hungry and thirsty for something more, a little bit more. In many cases, though, uh, even the rich, they, they know this, they still live as if they believe that just a little more will do the trick. That maybe they just don't have quite enough yet. <clears throat> it is easy for money to become a god for the wealthy. Money seems to make promises of happiness. And if you'll just sacrifice to this god, it will fulfill you. If you let this god, money, drive your life and compel you forward, then eventually you'll achieve the sense of fullness that it offers. If you'll, if you'll just love this God, money, lay down your life for it, it'll reward you with true and lasting satisfaction. Of course, that's a lie. It's easy to see that that's a lie. Anybody can see that that's a lie. But it's a lie that, nevertheless, all kinds of people continue to believe, whether rich or poor. So here's a question. Who loves money more? A rich person or a poor person? I mean, you might assume that a rich person loves money more. They've done better with it or gotten more of it or something. But a poor person can love money just the same. A poor person can just as easily believe that more money will make him happy and invest himself in the pursuit of money. A poor person can feel his lack of money and be convinced that this is why he's so discontent and dissatisfied in life. He hasn't been able to get enough money, or others haven't allowed him to get enough money. A poor person can worship the god money and ascribe to it the power to fill him up. 
and he'll bend his life around it just like a rich person does. So Ecclesiastes is speaking to everybody, whether rich or poor, when he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Doesn't matter who you are. Money does not have the power to make you breathe that deep, full, happy, ah, blessed contentment. Doesn't have that power. In fact, uh, the love of money will keep you miserable. The love of money will keep you miserable like an addiction. When you relate to money as, as to a god, you will suffer its tyranny. Unfortunately, that's an arrangement we're all too willing to enter into. Uh, so in his book, uh, The Treasure Principle, uh, Randy Alcorn, he paraphrases what we find in our passage about this. And uh, we're, we're not going to take the time to walk through all of it verse by verse, but I think these really correspond. I mean, he's paraphrasing, paraphrasing uh, this whole passage, really, <clears throat> when he says, boils it down this way. The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the less you're satisfied the more you have, the more people, including the government, will come after it. The more you have, the more you realize it does you no good. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. The more you have, the more you have to lose. And the more you have, the more you'll leave behind. Because you can't take it with you. And all of this reminds me of Thorin Oakenshield. He's the dwarf king in The Hobbit by Tolkien. Uh, his grandfather, Thorin's grandfather, who's the king under the mountain, and he'd amassed this great treasure, tre- treasure hoard, right? He had caverns <clears throat> filled with gold, and he had gold sickness. And Thorin, you know, they had lost this great treasure to a dragon. Thorin was on his quest to reclaim it uh, with his companions. And when he saw all that vast wealth that was his, the gold sickness took him too, and he became consumed with the treasure, and he grew suspicious and hostile toward his friends. He began to break his word and betray his allegiances. He had more than he could ever possibly have use for, beyond just looking at it. But he would not part with one single coin. The gold became his god, it became his ruler, and it drove him to madness and to misery. And it broke his relationships with those who were closest to him. And whether you have much wealth or not, if you love money and ascribe to it the power to satisfy you, you're going to be sorely disappointed, and ultimately you become bitter and dead on the inside, eating alone in darkness and vexation and sickness and anger. So Derek Kidner says, if anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it's the emptiness it leaves. Man with eternity in his heart needs better nourishment than this. So we want the fullness that we imagine comes with a little more. But that fullness will never come. Only emptiness, the gnawing lack of true contentment. It'll plague us if we have the love of money. Paul talks about these things in our New Testament reading. I think uh, the New Testament reading that Emily read from 1 Timothy 6, um, there's so many themes that are connected to this passage from Ecclesiastes 5. So it's maybe Paul's commentary on these kinds of things. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, he says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. 
So notice he doesn't say money is a root of all kinds of evils. He says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. He talks about it in terms multiple times of our heart's desires, uh, cravings, and pangs, verse 10, setting our hopes on riches, verse 17, and, and so forth, right? So he's, money itself is a fine thing. In fact, money is a good thing. God would say money is a good thing. It's just a bad God. You're meant, not meant to treat it like a God. You're not meant to relate to it like a God or serve it like a God or hope in it like a God. The love of money is a source. It's the love of money that's a source of evil and corruption. When you love money, you become the kind of person who would grab for power and abuse it and even oppress others to get your money. Like those who were talked about in the beginning of our passage <clears throat> in verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, don't be amazed at the matter, for the high officials watched by higher and there are yet higher ones over them, playing their political games. Of course there's oppression of the poor by the powerful and the wealthy who know how to play the system. In a world like this where everyone's concerned with their own station, with their own advantage, with things like political maneuvering and jockeying, where where people are driven to find satisfaction in how big a slice of the pie they can get for themselves, of course you're going to have the oppression of the poor. You're going to have injustice. The love of money corrupts your humanity, and it corrupts all of society. The love of money will never produce love of neighbor in your heart. The love of money will never produce justice and peace. Your neighbor, if you love money, is reduced to a means to getting more money or an obstacle to getting more money. And for what? So you can have the opportunity to be continually dissatisfied with money. For a little more to let you down again like it has every time so far. Ruin your relationships with your neighbors over something that does not satisfy. The love of money dehumanizes everybody. It ruins relationships and money is a God to which many of us are enslaved. But the gospel, the gospel offers us freedom from the love of money. It says you can be satisfied. You can be content. Whether you have lots of money, whether you have no money. Paul says we can have a thing called godliness with contentment. He acknowledges that uh, we do have some very basic material needs. Food and clothing. He says but we can be content. Even if these are all that we have. There's food and clothing. He's saying you could have no money at all. You could be homeless. And you could still have this thing called godliness with contentment. And he knows what he's talking about because he's experienced it. Read the story of Paul's life through the New Testament. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He, said, he says, rich or poor, the temptation of the love of money, I can withstand that. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's saying he picked up his godliness with contentment from Jesus. Jesus had no money at all. Jesus was homeless. Jesus was the oppressed poor. All Jesus had on a daily basis was food and clothing, and it was enough for him. And he was satisfied, and he was content, not because of the money that he did or didn't have, 
Jesus was content because of his relationship with God the Father. He ate and drank and accepted his lot and rejoiced in his toil. Even though he suffered injustice by those who saw him as an obstacle to getting and keeping a bigger slice of the pie for themselves, he didn't live the same way as all those around him, loving money, ascribing to it a power to fill him up, if only he could get a little more. He didn't spend his life to gain something that he didn't already have. He received what he had as a gift from his father. God was his life. God was his wealth. God was his joy. And Jesus already had God, so he was full. He was content. And everything Jesus ever received in this world, he received from the hand of his father with thanksgiving. True satisfaction... And true contentment, these are spiritual matters. They're matters of our relationship with God. They're not matters of finances. It was because Jesus was in a right relationship with God that he could be content in whatever situation that he found himself. So when Paul says that he's learned that same secret, the secret of contentment, he attributes the power of this satisfaction, to be satisfied whether I'm rich or poor, He attributes the power of this satisfaction to Jesus, the true God, who strengthens him, who empowers him to be content with what he has, to be in that kind of relationship with God where he's content. Because that thing that satisfied Jesus, that godliness with contentment, that relationship with God that filled Jesus up, Jesus has shared that with Paul and with all his people freely as a gift of his grace. We have it. So Paul doesn't need a little more to be happy. doesn't need a little more, and then he'd have enough, and he'd be content, content and satisfied. He already has the God and Father of all joy. He already has Jesus. He already has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So remember, either rich or poor can worship the God money and ascribe to that God the power to make them happy and bend their lives around that false God. So also, either rich or poor can come into a relationship with the true God through faith in Jesus Christ. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what's in your bank account or if you have one or if you have a place to lay your head at night. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you can find true satisfaction and freedom from the miserable love of money. This is how Ecclesiastes talks about it toward the end of our passage. In uh, verse 18, he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and beautiful is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. So here, it seems he's talking about the poor, the laborer, maybe even the oppressed, who can be truly content with their lot in life, content with whatever their station is in life, when they receive what they do have from God, to be enjoyed in a relationship with God. They have God. Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he'll not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So here he's talking about the wealthy. Everything they have is also a gift of God, their wealth and their possessions And even the power to enjoy them and to be content and to accept their lot. It's all to be received with thanksgiving from God. God gives us the power to be satisfied with his gifts. 
whatever they may be. God gives us the power to be content, even if he doesn't give us more ever. God gives us the power to enjoy his gifts together. To share the simple things in life, a good meal together in good company. And so in The Hobbit, um, that's the revelation Thorin had in his dying moments when he had ultimately rejected the gold sickness and recovered his mind and he returned to his friends. He spoke to Bilbo, a hobbit. And hobbits are simple and happy folk, right? They're content with very little. They're unconcerned with wealth, content just to enjoy what they have together and share it together. And Thorin said, if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. And Ecclesiastes is saying the same thing, just that he makes it explicit. We can only do this in right relationship with God. He has the simple things in life, eating a meal together, sharing what we have, enjoying life together with God, from God, as a gift, with thanksgiving to God. Remember, that's the big point of the book of Ecclesiastes. We can only find true satisfaction when we bring everything in our life into our relationship with God. God puts joy in our hearts, and he keeps us occupied with this joy that overshadows the cares of this world, all the cares of this world. So do you have your daily bread? Do you have your bread for today? Do you have clothes on your back? then God has answered your prayers, whether you actually express them or not. He's answered your prayers. Thanks be to God, you have enough. Do you have the life of Christ in you? Do you have a relationship with Jesus' God and Father as your own God and Father? Are you filled with his Holy Spirit? Do you have the riches of his grace? Do you consider the treasures of heaven to be greater than the treasures of this world? Thanks be to God, you have much more than enough and far more than you could ever deserve. Jesus says there are only two alternatives with regard to money and the love of money. He says no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He would say you cannot love God and money. It's either a false God or it's the one true God. It's either the love of money, which leads to madness and misery and broken relationships, or it's godliness with contentment, a God-centered life through faith in Jesus, where your spiritual relationship brings you real contentment in life. Paul describes such a life, this godliness with contentment, in 1 Timothy 6. He describes it as, uh, as one not spent in mad pursuit of more wealth, But in the pursuit of righteousness, faith, love, steadfastness, and and gentleness. Rather than treating others as either means or obstacles to getting more money, getting a bigger, bigger slice of the pie for yourself, we can be renewed in our relationships when we're satisfied with God. That's what that's where real love of neighbor comes from. That's where real justice comes from. Rather than being stingy and miserly. We can share and give. Paul continues uh, at the end of 1 Timothy 6. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
They, the rich, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. May God keep you eternally occupied with joy in your hearts. May you find true gladness, true contentment, godliness with contentment. Whatever money you have, because you have the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we live at a time and in a place where it's easy to be greedy for more and maybe even easy to see how this is an unfulfilling pursuit, the pursuit of more, just a little more. And yet we're stuck in our pursuit of wealth. We're stuck in our love of money. Help us to find godliness with contentment in our relationship with you. Help us to see the goodness and beauty of Jesus who never bent his life around money or ascribed it any power or who who was free to be occupied with joy in his heart, who was himself truly thankful for you and for your gifts to him. Help us to find the same satisfaction in you that Jesus has because of his own spirit in us, giving us that power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.